As the left continues its organized assault on Elon Musk and X, the owner of the only non-leftist social media platform has a three-word message for those who would censor him. There's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will. That this had been said online. There was all of the criticism. There was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger today. I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f*** yourself. <laughs> but <laughs> go f*** yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. Well, well let me ask you then. <laughs> That's how I feel. Don't <laughs> advertise. In case there's any confusion, the guy has no idea what to say. And Elon is absolutely right. If the richest man in the world is not allowed to speak his mind, if the richest man in the world is not even allowed to let other people speak the truth as we see it, then why even go on pretending that we live in anything resembling a free country anymore? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com to find all of your gifts this year. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to save a bonus of 10% off today on top of their December sale. Greta, Greta Thunberg has switched her activism away from defending the sun monster and, and saving the earth toward crushing Zionism, in her words. We will get to that in just one moment. First, though, I don't want to move off Twitter too quickly because while Elon Musk is resisting the private sector attempts to censor him through advertising boycotts to get him to fall in line and stop speaking his mind, at, at the same time, Elon is fighting public sector attempts to intimidate his users as well, all for the same purpose. And that is coming from Jack Smith. Jack Smith is this lawyer who is special counsel investigating Donald Trump for, I don't know, putting too much ketchup on his hamburger or something, whatever the latest DOJ attempt to put Donald Trump in prison is. And as part of that investigation, Jack Smith is demanding information on every single Twitter user who has ever in any way interacted with Donald Trump's Twitter account, which is to say every Twitter user. Is there, is there any account on Twitter that has not interacted with Trump on Twitter at some point? I'm not just talking about a private message. I'm not even just talking about a public message. I'm talking about anyone who's ever liked, retweeted, in any way interacted with his account. We're talking about millions and millions of accounts. We know this now because we've seen the heavily redacted search warrant, and that heavily redacted search warrant includes all associated accounts, the names of those accounts, as well as logs and metadata pertaining to those accounts. This is maybe the most expansive information grab from the DOJ ever. And, and what is the purpose of this? It's clear enough to me that the purpose of this request is, one, to figure out who the political enemies are, 
who the enemies of Joe Biden are. But two, it's to intimidate Americans. The very fact that the DOJ is making this request is going to intimidate people. It's going to tell people, goodness, I better stop interacting with these Republican accounts. I better stop amplifying them. I better stop responding to them. I better stop quote tweeting them. I better censor myself. And and this is one of the great tools of left-wing censorship. I talked to a couple guys uh, yesterday who were swinging by the office, and I I was speaking in a politically incorrect way. And I, I said something, I felt totally anodyne, but the guy said, hey, you can't say that. I said, what do you mean I can't say that? They said, well, you... What you said is very offensive. I said, I don't think it is. They said, oh, no, it is. You're not allowed to say that anyway. I said, oh, well, did I offend you? They said, well, no, you didn't offend me. I said, Do you, can you point to anyone that I did offend? Any real person? They said, no. I said, so what's the big deal? They said, well, no, in theory, there's a hypothetical person. And so you got you to gotta refrain from saying that. And this is how the left works. Yes, there is the overt censorship. Yes, YouTube will take down an episode if you say something that's too politically incorrect, if you contradict the woke agenda. Yes, it's true that Facebook will pull advertising or something if you contradict the woke agenda. But that's only a minor part of the censorship plan. The bigger part is when they intimidate you and harass you and make your life much more difficult when you contradict them so that you censor yourself. You don't refer to a man who identifies as a woman as he. You just, you just don't, maybe you don't use any pronouns at all. You just don't want to talk about it. Maybe you don't raise questions about the efficacy of the, the COVID vaccine, the Fauci ouchie. Maybe you don't raise questions about the legitimacy of the 2020 election because you just don't want to hear it. And you don't want to come under the magnifying glass of the DOJ which now is, is not so much investigating with a magnifying glass as with a gigantic fishing net to take all of those data in and look at all of us. This is not just happening in America. In Ireland, it's, it's even sadder. So this is being reported by the BBC right now. There was a little bit of graffiti written on a wall in Ireland. It says, Irish lives matter. No, I don't like graffiti. I like that statement, though. I think Irish lives do matter. And according to the BBC, this is anti-immigration signage. Here's how the BBC is reporting it. Graffiti reading Irish lives matter was daubed on the wall of the Kennedy Center on the Falls Road overnight. People before prophets Jerry Carroll said there was, quote, no place in our society for this kind of racist poison. Racist poison. (laughs) to say that the people of your country matter in any way. Racist poison. Sinn Féin MP Paul Maskey described the signs as disgraceful, adding that they had been erected in an attempt to create fear and intimidate people. Disgraceful to say that the people of your own country matter in any way. It's to intimidate people. Yeah, what? no, you know what's to intimidate people? That news report. That's to intimidate the Irish from in any way standing up for themselves and their culture and their history and their own interests and their own self-government. If it is a hate crime to write a little bit of graffiti that says the people of our country matter, then what that means is your country is no longer governed by or for the people of your country. Ireland is no longer governed by or for the Irish. The Irish have had a difficult history 
The Irish have not always had the best political luck. John Lennon had a song which was, if you had the luck of the Irish, you'd be sorry and wish you was dead. If you had the luck of the Irish, you'd wish you were English instead. Well, it looks like their political situation has not improved at all. Now, of course, some of the MPs, some of these politicians look Irish. They've got Irish names. They've got lilting Irish accents. But they're not really Irish. They're not governing in the interests of Ireland. They're governing in the interests of some far distant imperial capital. They're governing in the interests of Brussels, for instance. They're governing as satraps for some imperial power, a liberal imperial power that does not have the interests of the nation first. This is why you're seeing a surge of nationalism, perhaps not in Ireland, certainly not among the political class. I guess among the people you see a little bit. That's why they're spraying the graffiti. But it's why you're seeing a surge of nationalism in Britain through the Brexit, in Italy through the Maloney election, in Sweden, uh, in the Netherlands, in the United States, all over the place. Why? Because we are being told all over the West that our nations are not only unimportant, but evil, wrong. To, to have any care for your own country and its history and its people is disgraceful and, and totally unacceptable. And people don't want to hear that. So, so you're now seeing an opposition, not so much between the left and the right, as between the people and the political ruling class which is raising a much deeper governing problem than the usual battles between left and right because it's, it's raising a crisis of regime. It's, it's causing people to ask, hey, do we actually govern ourselves? Does our government in any way have the interests of our country first? Does our government have the interests of, of our country in their minds at all? And the answer that people are increasingly coming to is no. Now, one interest that I keep in my mind a fair bit is the protection of the defenseless among us. And that's why you got to check out Preborn. Right now, go to preborn.com slash Knowles. Finally, some good news. Because of you, our friends over at Preborn have rescued over 44,000 babies this year alone. Right now, thousands of mothers are awaiting the birth of their precious babies. And thousands upon thousands of babies are taking their first breath. Since the beginning, Preborn's network of clinics has rescued over 280,000 babies. That is a miracle. And for just 28 bucks, you can empower a mother to choose life by sponsoring her ultrasound. Once she sees the precious life that she is growing and hears her baby's heartbeat, she is twice as likely to choose life. Right now, through a match, your gift is doubled. Your generous gift will go 100% toward life. It is such an effective way to donate, to help save a life. A preborn fundraises separately for administrative costs, so every dollar you give is going to go towards saving babies. Have your donation doubled today by dialing pound 250, saying keyword baby. That is pound 250, keyword baby, or donate securely at preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. That is preborn.com slash Knowles. Speaking of the British Isles, Meghan Markle. You know Meghan Markle. She was the Duchess of Sussex, Princess Meghan, sort of. She married Prince Harry. I've long had a conspiracy theory that Meghan Markle is a biological weapon constructed in America to get back at the British crown for the War of 1812. We built her here. We assembled her perfectly to just go over to England and completely destroy the royal family and the monarchy. She's doing a pretty good job at it. Well, Meghan Markle and her husband, Prince Harry, they've come over here to America. It's a little bit like a boomerang, unfortunately. The weapon has come back on us. And reportedly, 
Meghan Markle has said she never wants to set foot in England again, which is a little awkward because her father-in-law is the king of England. The only reason I care about this story is not because... I, I do sort of like the royals. I'm a little bit anglophilic, but they, they can sort out their own politics. The, the reason that I care about this story is what it tells you about marriage. The, the state of modern marriage, not just among aristocrats and nobility and royalty overseas, but among everyone right here, which is, did she not think of this issue before she married the prince? Did, did she not consider whether or not she wanted to ever step foot in England before she married uh, the second most notable prince of England? You would think that's the sort of thing you would consider. Did she not recognize that when she married a member of the royal family, a senior member of the royal family, that she might have some duties and responsibilities that go along with that? And then the moment that she encountered those responsibilities, she said, oh, no, I want to go play pretend. I don't want to actually be a princess. I just want to go play a princess in Disney movies. I don't want to be the real thing. I just want to play pretend and then go off to my Malibu mansion, Montecito mansion, and, I don't know, sip Chablis and not have any responsibilities. You don't have to agree on everything before you head into a marriage with somebody. But you do have to agree on what a marriage is. I get asked for marriage advice all the time from young people because marriage is unusual these days, because people are delaying getting married, because our stupid culture tells people, don't get married, put your career first, put yourself first, don't think about another person, don't have children. For goodness sakes, children are a sexually transmitted disease. You need to use contraception. You need to have abortions. You need to put that off and freeze your eggs and maybe have a kid when you're 50. And, and this is not conducive to people's happiness. And so there's a crisis of marriage, a crisis of marriage because the Supreme Court redefined what marriage is in an absurd way. So we can't even answer that question. But that is, that is the fundamental question of political society. What are we all doing together? What are we aiming at? What do we think is good? What are we pursuing here together? And at what level? There's the national level of government. There's the state level of government, there's the community level of government, and then there's the basic political unit, which is the family, which is a marriage. And when you get married, I don't think you need to have some clinical job interview kind of procedure. I don't think you need to sit across from your prospective wife and have a 10 bullet point checklist and say, okay, well, you you check off seven of the 10, so I guess that's a passing grade. You can only get a C, but you know, okay, close enough. Maybe we'll get married. no. You know, that's not the most romantic thing I ever heard. You don't need to agree on every single thing, at least not when you first get married, because by the way, over the course of marriage, you will grow together or you can grow apart. But but if you have a real proper functioning marriage and you're spending time together and you're deferring to one another in their respective realms and you throw feminism out the window, then you're going to grow together, most likely. That's the question you have to answer. Not uh, what are we going to have for dinner? Not whose house are we going to go to for Christmas? Not even what school are we going to send the kids to? You have to ask, what is marriage? That should be the next Daily Wire documentary. We had the smash hit, what is a woman? Now we need something just as basic, which is what is marriage? And today, most people don't know. For Meghan Markle, marriage means live out a fantasy from a Disney movie have a little arm candy prince to, to accompany your handbag and your high heels. Prince Harry probably had a different understanding of marriage. The more traditional people have a different understanding of marriage than that. 
And it creates a big, big problem if you guys don't agree on that when you are going in. Now, speaking of foreigners, there's an unusual, unexpected story out of Argentina. The eccentric uh, new president-elect of Argentina, Javier Millet, radical libertarian, populist candidate who won unexpectedly, according to the experts in Argentina, he's considering converting to Judaism. This is according to Bloomberg News. Why is he converting to Judaism? I don't, I don't know for certain. It's unusual to convert to Judaism. Judaism is not a proselytizing religion. In fact, it's very, very difficult. You have to go through an extensive process and try multiple times. And but here's one potential explanation: Millet, who has all sorts of eccentric views on tantric sex and <laughs> all kinds of unusual spiritual and even sexual topics. He said, the truth is, I did not get to know the Rebbe personally, a major figure in uh, Chabad, Lubavitcher, Judaism. Uh, But just in the last year, I had the privilege of visiting the Rebbe's grave twice. There, I asked for his holy blessing to be elected president of Argentina. And this blessing became a reality this week. So some are saying, well, he's just this kook mystic who thinks that because he visited a grave and said, I want to be president of Argentina, and then he got it, he, he now credits the Rebbe of, of Judaism with uh, giving it to him. And so he's going to convert to Judaism out of gratitude for that. I think there's a much simpler explanation here as to why Millet would be interested in converting to Judaism. The answer is because he's a radical libertarian. And as such, Millet feels uncomfortable with the religion in which he was raised, and that's Catholicism. There are plenty of libertarians who are just fine in the Catholic Church, there, uh, there's the Acton Institute. In fact, we've we've uh, interviewed Father Sirico, who runs the Acton Institute on here. There, there are libertarians among the Catholics, but Catholic social teaching does not totally accord with libertarianism. Libertarianism is a modern movement. Liberalism is a modern movement, and Catholicism is not modern. Whatever you want to call Catholicism, it ain't modern. Now. Judaism obviously is not modern either, but Judaism better accommodates itself to some of those modern movements. I was talking to a friend of mine one time. I said, why is there so much anti-Semitism? Why do people hate the Jews so much? And he said, one theory I've got as to why people hate the Jews so much is that the Jews uniquely have been able to thrive in modernity while still maintaining their culture and their traditions and their heritage. And no other group has really been able to do that. It's usually one or the other. Either you thrive in our modern material society and and give up your whole culture, become totally deracinated, or you go off into the woods and you you know you become Amish or something, but you, you get to maintain your culture, but you're not particularly financially successful. And the Jews, perhaps uniquely, have been able to, to do both at the same time. Uh Catholic social teaching says that one can't just be a radical libertarian. One doesn't want to eradicate the state. One doesn't want to just completely dismiss any kind of social welfare program out of hand. And Millet hates that. He's, he's accused the, the Pope of all sorts of terrible things and the church of all sorts of terrible things. And I know a lot of people aren't thrilled with the Pope. And he's said, uh, certainly, um, he's made questionable declarations about politics. But I think this goes to a deeper philosophical issue, which is, If one is a true, perfectly doctrinaire, radical libertarian, then the traditional teachings of Christendom 
with regard to political economy don't quite work. And it reveals that that libertarianism, while it, there's much to recommend it on the right, also is kind of a left-wing movement. It doesn't fit exactly on the left-right political spectrum. Now, speaking of the Jews, Greta Thunberg wants to crush them. We'll get to that in one second. First, though, I want to help your dog, which is why you got to check out Rough Greens. Right now, go to roughgreens.com slash Michael. The holidays are here. While you're out shopping for your kids, family, and friends, do not forget to shop for your pets, too. Give your dog the gift of a healthier and happier life with Rough Greens. Naturopathic doctor Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Dog food might as well be considered dead food since it contains very little nutrition. Let Rough Greens bring your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. Just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about, sorry, excuse me, are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident that Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering a free jumpstart trial bag delivered to your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Michael or call 844-ROUGH-123. That is R-U-F-F greens.com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, or call 844-R-U-F-F-123 today. Lady Ballers, the most triggering comedy of the decade, is streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern. You've heard us talking about this movie all week. Now I get to tell you even more because I was at the Daily Wire red carpet review with all the other stars of our very first full-length feature comedy last night. The movie's excellent. There were a lot, a lot of friends came in for it. I was sitting in the movie theater for the premiere uh, next to Sweet Little Elisa on one side of me and Senator Ted Cruz on the other side of me. <laughs> only one of whom is, is a star of the movie. Uh, we had a lot of other friends fly in from all over the country, the performers in the movie, and we didn't know what to make of it. None of us had seen the movie beforehand. I had modest expectations. I knew the script was very, very good. I didn't know if they would pull it off. I was only on set for a couple of days. The movie's terrific. It's terrific. Jeremy is a genius. I don't, don't tell him I said it. It's excellent. This is the movie that Hollywood should have been racing to make, but they did not. They would not. So we did it. Lady Ballers premieres tomorrow night exclusively on Daily Wire Plus at 8 p.m. Eastern. Greta wants to crush the Jews. Uh, here is Greta Thunberg in Stockholm uh, shaking up her usual climate activism, doing a rain dance and screaming at the sun monster to uh, do some other kind of dance and scream at the Hebraic people. So I, I can't quite make out Swedish either. But apparently the chant there is Krosasino Ismen, which means Sionismen, uh, yeah, which means crush Zionism. This was at a pro-Palestine rally. Which leads me back to one of the only points I've made as this war broke out, because there are high passions about this war in the Middle East. Some people have a strong 
connection to Israel. Some people have family members in Israel, for instance. Some people have spent a lot of time there. Some people uh, believe in the theological premises of Zionism. This includes Jews. This even includes certain uh, evangelical Christians. Uh, Some people on the flip side have strong affinities for the Palestine liberation cause, mostly on the left, but a little bit on the right. And I'm I'm not all that interested in those nuances of the conflict. I want to protect innocent people. I want to avoid World War III. But that, that's about where my interest ends in that there are a lot of conflicts all around the world. I, I have an interest in the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. We have an interest in the Ukraine-Russia conflict, also because we don't want to go into World War III. But there are a lot of different conflicts. How does one make any sense of the Israel-Palestine conflict, which has gone on for a long time in its present form for 100 years, and in some form or other for centuries and millennia even? And the answer is, my little rule of thumb is, if Greta Thunberg is on one side of an issue, I'm probably on the other side. Just as a rule of thumb, okay? If Greta Thunberg hates something, then that's probably a pretty good recommendation of it. One of the arguments I've heard from people uh, trying to take a more pro-Palestine side here is not the Greta Thunbergs, not the Ilhan Omars, not the Rashida Tlaibs, but, but sane, normal people, is they say, well, I just don't agree with the way in which the Israeli state was established because the Israeli state, the modern Israeli state, was established as a consequence of the Balfour Declaration in 1917, which is a way for the British Empire to curry favor and win some support from Jews around the world and to support the political project of Zionism, which had predated it by some decades. And then after World War II, because of the atrocities that happened to the Jews uh, as a result of Nazi Germany, then there was even more political impetus for the official founding of the State of Israel in 1948 and it received a UN charter. And, uh, you know, but as a result of that, it displaced a lot of people and it created a new entity on the map and no one had any right to do that. And that's just a kind of imperialism. And I've heard all of the arguments. I totally agree. I totally agree that it's a complicated issue. Sorry, I don't agree with all of the arguments that people make, but I certainly agree it's a complicated issue. But what are you going to do now? <laughs> Even if you think that the establishment of the modern state of Israel was questionable, it was established. What are you going to do? What what on earth are you supposed to do? What is Greta Thunberg's answer here? What is Rashida Tlaib's answer? What is Ilhan Omar's answer? Seems to me pretty clear the answer is just wipe the place off the map and then, <laughs> and then things are not going to work out very well for the present occupants. But they don't really have any answers. Just, just like the libs on, on other issues don't really have any answers. They just want to tear things down. They, they just want to scream and yell. And even they apply this to America. They say, we need to give the Black Hills of South Dakota back to the Lakota Sioux. That's your answer? We're going to give away an area of the United States that has four U.S. presidents' faces carved into it? Mount Rushmore, we're going to give away an area of the United States that has a quarter million Americans living on it? To who? To the Lakota Sioux? We've had the land longer than the Lakota Sioux have. And by the way, the Lakota Sioux stole the land from the Cheyenne. Why don't we give it to the Cheyenne? Why, who did the Cheyenne take it from? I, I discussed this topic in a speech a couple of nights ago at Vanderbilt, which you can get on the YAF YouTube channel. So I, I don't just want to own the libs here. I don't just want to have a nice pithy zinger. My question is, what are you supposed to do? What's your answer? These people don't have any answer. They just whine and scream and pretend to be so much more virtuous than the rest of us. Now, speaking of political polarization, 
This story, man, this is this is our this is the weird sex stuff segment of the day. And this one, man, there's sex stuff. And then there's weird sex stuff. And then there is whatever the Washington Post is writing about in this article. Washington Post publishing a leather mask of a donkey with chains and spikes and stuff and a leather mask of an elephant. And it says, in the world of sexual fetishes, crossing the political aisle is a kink. Does a forced vote for the other side get your pulse racing? There is a dominatrix for that. And so I'm going to cut out some of the more lurid details here where they talk about all sorts of sexual objects and, and fetishes. They say a fetish is an, is an inanimate object, technically. Say stiletto shoes, a body part, feet, for example, or situation required for sexual arousal. Though it's frequently used interchangeably for the broader term kink, which includes pleasurable if unorthodox role-playing and you name it. And these are all sorts of fantasies. Well, put aside those somewhat more common fetishes and fantasies. The new one, the big one, is a political sexual fetish. Guys who want their sexual partners to make them vote for the opposite party. <laughs> Guys who are, and this is, I assumed this was a fake thing. No, the Washington Post details, in, in lurid detail, all these different groups online and on various sex social media sites, thousands of people joining these groups to say, yeah, I'm a liberal, but I want a Republican to just call me a dumb idiot leftist. <laughs> so here's, here's just one paragraph. This is one of the more wholesome paragraphs in an otherwise truly degenerate article. Uh, he said he came up with the idea for the group after he received messages from a handful of users all asking for the same thing. <laughs> Quote, I'm liberal, leftist, and proud, but I really want to be dominated by a conservative. Nearly all of the group members merely want to text their fantasies to him, not act them out. One man who wanted to meet up but changed his mind described his fantasy as wearing a Trump dog collar <laughs> sold on Trump's campaign website. So apparently that's actual Trump merch. And being walked by right makes mites, which is like one of the users, I guess, around Walmart to pick out a dog bone. <laughs> so... I'm going to leave it there. If you want to read the rest of the article, I got to hand it to the Washington Post. This is the single most entertaining piece of journalism I have read in a very long time. It's very, very funny. It's definitely revolting. But the reason that I mention it on the show is because there clearly is a deeper significance to this. And, and the deeper significance is a lot of what the author details as kink or fetish, right? Fetish, by the way, it, the, the basic meaning of that word is, is an idol. So you, you could have a, a pagan tribe that has its fetishes, disconnected largely or totally from sex, but it's just the, the idols that the people worship. And so it's applied to all these kind of weird sex things. Uh, and so at that deeper level, what you're seeing is a kind of taboo. What is a taboo? A taboo is a separating of something that is that is either extremely sacred or extremely profane or just so, something you don't want to touch. It's something, it's something taboo. And in our culture now, 
The taboos are not just some bizarre fringe desire you ever heard of. The taboos are political disagreement. You're not allowed to do that anymore. That's naughty. It is naughty to disagree with Joe Biden. It is naughty to have any independent political thought. It is naughty. It's shameful. You got to whisper it in the back alleys and on weird sex sites. If you in any way break from, not even just the liberals, from your political tribe. It does appear to be mostly the liberals here, though, who are signing up for this stuff, who want the conservatives to smack them around or something. That is the sign not only of of an unhealthy psyche, that is the sign not only of an unhealthy uh, libido and sexual desire, that's the sign of an unhealthy society, of an unhealthy political order. But of course, this is the case. If you're a conservative now, if you're a pro-lifer, the FBI might come knocking on your door. If you're lucky, they'll knock. They might just kick the door in. If you're a Catholic, the feds might be showing up to your mass to spy on your mass, to try to infiltrate your church. If you're a totally peaceful protester on January 6th, the worst day in the history of the world, you could have a U.S. marshal show up to your house, arrest you, throw you in solitary confinement for voicing your questions about an obviously very dubious election. Which means that political discourse is taboo. And for some people, that's sexy. For some people, it's terrifying. For these guys, it's probably both. Because they appear to get a kick out of things that are terrifying or disgusting or revolting or, broadly speaking, taboo. Yikes. When political disagreement is enough to titillate you and get your rocks off because it's so naughty, then our culture is effectively no longer a free republic. Now, speaking of finding significance in otherwise shallow things, there's going to be a course taught at Harvard by a transvestite on Taylor Swift music. Uh, Stephanie Bird, I don't know what his real name is, probably Stephen is a man who identifies as transgender, and he's going to be teaching a course called Taylor Swift and Her World. Uh, The class will include some details about Taylor Swift's current highly publicized romance with that football player. And Professor Burt says it's a literature course, and it has a lot of songs and songwriting. It's going to be focused on Taylor Swift's lyrics and creative composition and how they're connected to other page-based poets and authors. This is how you know that this course is going to be awful. The notion that a poet needs to have the distinction page-based added before his title. The, the other kind of poet, according to this person, would be a slam poet, which is the absolute death of art. And if you think the slam poetry is anything even resembling an art form, then you certainly shouldn't be shaping young minds. But this person is. says, you know, William Wordsworth and Samuel Taylor Coleridge who wrote some of their poems in the Lake District, which Taylor has visited and has a song about. They look, at, look at all these literary connections here. Oh man, this is so pathetic. But this is nothing new. This sort of stuff has gone on at elite schools for a long time. The, the gut class is where every kid in this class is going to get an A. They're not going to learn anything. They're going, to, they're going to listen to some Taylor Swift music and try to put some kind of academic patina over it, but it's going to be pretty shallow. But this has gone on for a long time because... It is still hard to get into these schools. It it is actually hard to get into Harvard, but it's very easy to graduate. It's much harder to get in than it is to graduate. You have to have decent test scores, at least for now, or or you have to be reasonably accomplished in school and be able to check a bunch of politically correct intersectional identity boxes. Uh, 
But once you're in, you're in. I was once told by my alumni interviewer for college that it would take an act of violence for me to get thrown out of school. The grade inflation is so rampant. Because it doesn't really matter what these kids learn. The purpose of the schools right now is a credentialing institution and a finishing school to channel you into consulting, law school, uh, finance, investment banking, these sorts of Washington, D.C., the State Department, the deep state. That's what it's for. It's a finishing school for the the would-be political elite. But our political elite, as we all know, they don't really know much of anything at all these days. And they don't, they don't have to. They don't, it, it, in fact, it's, it's better for the ideologues if they don't really know very much of anything. Because when you know things, when you have a proper education, then you can think for yourself and you can see through shallow ideologies. So what do they do? They got to fill their time. The kids have to take some classes in these schools. So what do they learn? They go and they sit and they listen to Taylor Swift music and they all rock back and forth and then they get their degrees and then they run the world. That's what they do. Now, we need to shed some light on these problems. And when you want to shed a little light into your home, you're going to need to think about your windows. You're going to want to check out Renewal by Anderson. Right now, text Knowles to 200-300. For most homeowners, window replacement is not something they want to do, but rather something that they have to do. Have you put off replacing the windows in your home because it's too expensive? Then I have great news. You can now get a free in-home window consultation and a free quote from Renewal by Anderson. Renewal by Anderson's signature service is committed to giving you the best customer service possible, supported by the best people in the industry. Right now, Renewal by Anderson is offering a free in-home or virtual consultation on durable, quality, affordable windows or patio doors for $0 down, zero payments, and zero interest for one year. I've heard unsolicited from a carpenter who heard me do a read on Renewal by Anderson. He said, hey, I just want to let you know, when I go into a lot of homes, the homes that have used Renewal by Anderson, I can always tell right away because they have the best windows. And I have a cousin, actually, who works for the company, too, and loves it. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 200-300 for your free consultation and save 375 bucks off every window and 750 bucks off every door. These savings will not last long, so be sure to check it out. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 200-300. That is Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 200-300. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. Go to windowappointmentnow.com for full offer details. My favorite comment yesterday is from Kaylee Ann, 1994. Lady Ballers has to be the funniest sports comedy since basketball. The fact that you guys got Ted Cruz to make a cameo appearance nearly sent me into shock. I cannot wait to watch. And we have many other great cameos there. You know, I I spent much of the night uh, with all of the stars of this movie, including Senator Cruz, but with all the stars of this movie, everyone was ecstatic about how this thing turned out. We had hundreds of people in in the movie theater for the premiere. Maybe two or three of us had ever seen the movie before. (laughs) Jeremy and, I don't know, maybe one of us had ever seen the movie before. And universally, we were all thrilled with it. We cannot wait to share it with you. That will be tomorrow. Now, speaking of the universities, you're going to be shocked to hear this. This is breaking news. Stop the presses. Graduate students are complaining. Here's why. We're PhD students. Of course I have an emotional support animal. We're PhD students. Of course I'm on prescription anxiety medication. Of course I question my decision to do more school every day. I got a 38 in my last midterm and 
and I don't even care that much. <laughs> We're PhD students. Of course I care more about disappointing my advisor than my own parents. My entire self-worth is based on how this next experiment goes. I have no idea what my expected year of graduation is. <laughs> We're PhD students. Of course every single major life milestone is on hold. I don't know what a 401k is. We survive off of Costco frozen meals. We're PhD students. Of course I get offended when people think I'm an undergrad. We're PhD students. You will be calling me doctor when I graduate. We're PhD students. Of course I spend every day Googling the jobs that I'll have after graduation. We're PhD students and their salaries, which are looking pretty good compared to what I'm getting paid right now. We're PhD students. I want to get an advanced degree and then go into academia and make zero money. <laughs> of course I use Wikipedia to teach myself the things that I need to know to read papers. I have a list of papers that I should read, but I'm never going to. We're PhD students. Of course I just use a calculator, add two plus two. We're PhD students. Of course we're going to cry in our advisor's office. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Okay. Ugh. Ugh. Boy. They're, they're PhD students, but not in comedy. <laughs> they're not. They're studying something else. Part of this is a little self-effacing. Right? We're PhD students. We need a calculator to say that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Sure. Some of it, I suspect, is real, which is when they say, yeah, I'm looking at the job market, and I'm not going to make a lot of money, and I don't make any money now, and I've got all this work, and I don't get any uh, credit for it, and some of it's kind of hard and boring, and I don't even want to read the papers that I signed up for, and it's just a kind of a miserable life, which raises the question, why are you PhD students? We do not suffer from a national shortage of PhD students. We have plenty. We, we have so many fake academic departments now. We have such a glut of PhD students, and the, the standards have been so lowered in recent decades. We don't, we have plenty. And we know that the job market for professors is absolutely brutal, and a lot of these people will never get jobs in academia. So you don't need to do it. Why do you do it? You become a PhD student, and then you become a scholar because you are one of the really weird people who wants to dedicate your life to sitting in a small room reading books and not making a lot of money, but you care so much about the great conversation taking place in, in our civilization that you want to, and you believe you can, contribute to it. Very few people can actually do that and will thrive doing that. The people who, for, for whom that is not the best path are going to be miserable. It's a really, really hard life. But no one's making them do it. A lot of people do this because they've been conditioned for their whole lives to think that this is all that they can do, and because they think that after they graduate from college, this is a, an easy enough next step. And some of them want to be perpetual students. They say, I don't I have no idea when I'm going to graduate. And a lot of them are in no rush whatsoever. They'll just keep deferring, uh, entering the workforce, they'll keep deferring adulthood. It, it gets to a, a theory that Antonin Scalia got in trouble for bringing up in a Supreme Court opinion once, which is the theory of mismatch. We are, we are told today that everything is for everyone, and everyone is perfectly well-prepared to do every single thing. And if you ever suggest otherwise, then you are not equitable, you are unjust, you're probably a racist and a sexist and a thisist and a thatist. But it's not. Not everything is for everyone. Not every school is for everyone. And not only will the admission of people who are not up to snuff into these schools harm the other students because it'll reduce standards, it'll harm the students who are admitted because they're not going to do very well and they're either going to flunk out and be in debt or they're going to waste a lot of time 
Or what they're going to do is they're going to stay in the schools and the schools are going to create fake departments to accommodate them because they can't hack it in certainly not physics or mathematics, but probably not history or English either. So they're going to have some fake critical studies department and they're going to get their A's in it and they're going to graduate not really knowing anything. And because there's no job for a gender studies major, they're probably going to go to graduate school because the only job really for a gender studies major is to teach gender studies. Maybe you can work in some DEI office or something like that. But in any case, you're likely going to go on to uh, graduate school, and then you're going to be miserable. Not everything is for everyone. Now, there's a story I really wanted to get to today. This is a, a, an important social issue. It's a crisis. And the crisis is that people, you know, you get a water bottle, like a plastic water bottle, and you drink it, and then maybe you leave a little bit in it, and you, you, know, put, and you leave it somewhere. Maybe you throw it out. Well, there's a woman who has gone viral for saying that this is going to deplete all the water of the earth because that water will never escape and we will all uh, die of thirst. I don't have time to get to this today because I've got to turn to a very dear friend of mine who is seeing firsthand the craziness going on on our campuses. He's seeing it firsthand at Yale University. That would be my friend Rabbi Shmuley Hecht, and that will happen in the membroom segmentum of this show. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.